The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome into the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wander and Will Lomas, and it is time for the second annual bi-week extravaganza, as we like to call it. If you remember last year, we did the uh, the live all-time Titans uh, mock draft. When who, who went first overall? Was it McNair? I think so. Was it? I think that sounds right. Yeah, because it was McNair, and then, and then, Will, you took Mariota second. Yeah, championship. <laughs> who, who was my quarterback? M- McNair. Oh, McNair. Because no, I, 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 I took, uh, I I took Chris Johnson in the first round. Oh. Yeah, I think well, that's what I, I won the draft anyway, so it didn't matter. Yeah. Hold on, let me find my big board from this. Anyway, <laughs> while, while, while Will looks for his big board, I think if you just Google titan size mock draft, it'll come yeah. up. Um. Uh, we couldn't go live for this one. We, uh, our partners at Fansided switched to a new outlet, and so we're still trying to figure out that. We will go live at some point once once we figure out how to. But we decided to just pre-record this year's bi-week extravaganza. This year, instead of a um, a mock draft, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a guest. We're going to have Eric Backrack from the Tennessean in just a bit. He's going to talk about uh, what it was like being in London. Uh, he's going to talk about. Uh, the Titans locker room, things like that. Uh, we're going to give a State of the Titans address. We'll, we'll address uh, all the hot topics like Mariota, Derrick Henry, the secondary. <clears throat> excuse me. And then we will play two games. We're going to play uh, the freezing cold take game in which we bring out each other's bad takes from before the season. And then we're going to play Titans trivia to close out the episode. So uh, definitely going to be a fun episode that you don't want to click away from at any point. Let's start with a very brief recap, though, of the Chargers game from last week. And really, I just want to hit one topic from this game, the two-point conversion. 
Uh, I didn't like the decision, but the call was even worse. I'll, I'll let you guys take it from there. Uh, well, before before we get into that, uh, I have the results of the all-time draft. Oh, okay. Uh, Steve, Steve McNair went first. Uh, Will took, yeah, I think I, I must have taken Mariota second overall, and then you took Chris Johnson third overall. So those were the top three picks. Yeah, and I, I had the best team. I think we all agreed. No, we we definitely did a poll, and I won. But whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Did let's we talk really? about that. I think, I we, think did. we did. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, I lost, and I have Bruce Matthews, Steve McNair, DeMarco Murray, Kevin White. I love Drew, DeMarco. Uh, this is insane to me. Anyway, sorry. I, I won with uh, Fernando Velasco as my center. I don't know how. Who is uh, it? Anyway. Who got Derek? Ma- who is it? Got Derek Mason. It was me. I took Derek Mason. I also got Eddie George in like the tenth round. No one wanted him. Just doesn't fit the modern NFL. Did he say because he's a fullback? <laughs> yeah, like he's like 240 pounds. <laughs> Running the John Gruden offense. What do you want me to do? Yeah, and you'd have John Gruden's results. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. Chargers game. Chargers All right. game. All right. Chargers game. So the two-point conversion, I was fine with. Uh, I liked the aggressiveness. Uh, although, uh, I mean, I understand both sides of it just because the Titans uh, were clearly the better team in the second half. Uh, it, whether you want to believe in m- momentum or not, the Chargers really weren't doing much uh, on their final couple of drives, and it really looked like the Titans were taking control of that game. But I mean, in London uh, against against the Chargers, I, I was okay with with going for two, going for the win, and just getting out of there. Uh, because I, honestly, I just I just don't really trust this team in overtime to make the right plays. Uh, especially when they had given up a couple of huge plays in that game, uh, and the offense really had just had just uh, it was it was okay. They they, they were pretty good, uh, but still we only scored 19 points. So I understand Rabel's decision. The play call, on the other hand, was atrocious. Just yeah. why not? They did it earlier in the game where they spread everyone out and just handed off to Derrick Henry from shotgun, and he literally strolled into the end zone untouched. Why not just do that again? Why why call another pass play, especially after getting the ball to the one-yard line and getting it even closer? I, In I, fact, I, I would— I almost think the goal line play was worse. Before, like when they, when they decided that on fourth down they were going to yeah. throw a jump ball to Luke Stalker. Terrible. Terrible play call also. Yeah, that, yeah. Even after it happened, I was like, I hate the play call, but okay, it worked. So whatever, yeah. I can't complain. But— um, um, yeah, I just didn't like the play calls. Uh, I wanted them to run the ball, or even honestly, a QB sneak or maybe a QB draw. Uh, I, I, our passing offense just hasn't been good all year. Why put the ball into their hands uh, with the game on the line? Yeah. What? I, okay. So I love the going for two. Like maybe not against every team, but I mean the Chargers have had our number so many times and the reason why we were beating them in the second half is because they were trying to run the clock out and get out of there like it, they they weren't trying to take chunk shots downfield like if they were they would have gotten them they just they would have found where Kendrick Lewis was and they would have attacked there and they would have won so i mean i have no confidence that this team could have stopped them in a crucial situation down the stretch i think either Tyrell Williams or Keenan Allen, who was demanding the ball on the sideline. I think he would have gotten a ton of targets on that last, on the overtime drive. I, I mean, 
I have no faith that the defense could stop them if you know the Chargers were willing to be aggressive again because I don't think the Titans had an answer for that in the first place because they blitzed and got punished and then they tried to rush forward and they weren't getting home. So I, I, I don't I don't think overtime was for the Titans. Now the play call was stupid, but I don't I don't necessarily mind going for a like shotgun snap pass look there. But if I'm if I'm Lafleur, I'm having Corey Davis in the slot, or whoever, my, or maybe Tajay Sharp, and I'm saying, okay, you're going to look here, and if somebody stays with him, then you're going to run the ball. You just find an open hole and run and get one yard. Say, you know, we're going to spread everything out, and you have one read, and as soon as that read is covered up, you go. And if he's wide open for some reason, like if they're trying to blitz and get ultra aggressive, then you throw it in there to whoever's the most sure-handed receiver, which is historically Corey Davis, but Tajay Sharp, I mean, was on that game. Like Tajay Sharp had a great game. So, like, that's the call I would make. Like, it wouldn't be, like, five wides where you have a real progression or anything like that. It would be five wides to spread out with the intention to one read and tuck it and run and get one yard. So, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess what they were assuming is that if they went into, like, a single back backfield with the quarterback under center, that they would get a really tough run look. But for one yard, I mean, you know, for one yard, you've got to be able to get it in from one yard. So I don't mind the call at all. I think it was the right decision. Uh, Vrabel was going to go for two when he thought that Mariota had scored. They, the cameras cut to the sideline. He was already holding up two fingers before they were, you know, replayed that and said that he was down early. So he Vrabel had thought about that. He was going for it no matter what because, I mean, he's aggressive and the analytics support it. I mean, uh, you know, Justin. T- everybody talks about this after, but Justin Tucker missed an extra point that cost Ravens the game against the the Saints. So, I mean, the numbers say, and my gut says that going for two there was the right decision. It's just the play call was horrendous. Yeah, I, I think most people would agree with you. So let's get into our state of the Titans uh, discussion. And uh, the first thing I want to hit with that is uh, quarterback Marcus Mariota. We'll get back to the uh, to the play calling, but I want to talk about Mariota. Um, Will, you wrote a, a, a very articulate article today about Marcus, and so we'll, we'll definitely give you some time with the floor. But I am so, like, pushed and pulled in either direction by Mariota. Like, he does good things, and he's really good with his legs, but I'm just not seeing it in the passing game. And there is a tendency among Titans fans to make a lot of excuses for this guy, and I just feel like if he was as good as he's supposed to be, he wouldn't. we wouldn't have to make excuses for him because he would just transcend them, you know? Uh, I don't know about that. So in my personal, in my personal opinion, I think right now at this current point in time, the Titans on offense in terms of like their offensive line and receiving weapons and running game, whatever, they might have a bottom five unit in terms of all of that. The running game stinks, except for Deion Lewis, who had had a good game against the Chargers. The interior of, of the offensive line is terrible. The receivers drop so many passes. We don't have Delaney Walker. 
I mean, I know we keep. I know these are excuses, and they're more excuses, but these are valid excuses because we see uh, them hurting the entire offense week to week, and in turn, they're hurting our quarterback. So that's my feeling. I think Mariota has played actually very well this year, for the most part, outside of two interceptions, the one against the Eagles, uh, and the one this past week against the Chargers. Aside from that, I thought he's been actually very good, especially since um, since that game against the Dolphins where he got injured. Yeah, I mean, Mario to just – and it sounds you know, like I'm defending him because I am, but he just doesn't really get a chance to do what works or even get the volume to make up for it. So the Titans have the third lowest uh, passing market share, and, I mean, all that means is they pass – less than 29 other teams in the NFL. Like, they just don't throw the ball. Um, it's about a 50-50 split between the run and the pass game. So, while while other guys are getting, you know, 45 chances a game to make a big play or to carry their offense, Mariota gets 25. It just – it's not really fair because let, let's say that he gets receivers that can catch the ball, which is – a huge leap right now because they're second, you know, the second worst team in the league in drops. So let's let's take out the fact that the whole, the offense is only giving him the ball in third and nine and second and long situations because they're so intent on running it early. Just from a pure volume standpoint, it's always going to look like Mariota's an inferior quarterback on paper because he doesn't get 40, 45 attempts a game. So that that's always going to be something we have to put up with. But, you know, it's hard to make game-changing plays when you're limited in how many times you touch the ball. And that that's maybe my second biggest concern with LaFleur in this offense. And the first is that they really don't run play actions like they should. Uh, I mean, they, they've done really well when they have run play actions, but they just aren't doing them to see here. Somebody had a stat that – uh, the Rams, I think it was Ron Jaworski, said that the Rams haven't thrown a non-play action pass in the last three games, and which is crazy when you think about they're the highest scoring offense, uh, highest or second highest scoring offense in the NFL right now, and they only they don't run straight dropbacks ever. So even if the Titans' run game isn't working, that should still be a big part of the offense, but. I don't know. I have so many different complaints with so many different people for not helping out Mariota that it's hard for me to like condense it into one thing, which is why I wrote the article I wrote. It kind of puts all these different questions into perspective. But it, the point is, is, you know, he's being limited in terms of his ability to run, which is what's always made him really comfortable. And it's what's made him always, you know, really effective when he's had those. 13 or whatever it is game winning drives in the fourth quarter that's always been what's really helped him and put extra stress on the defense and that's what helps him get into rhythm and when the coaching staff limits it more than the defense does that's that's when it frustrates me so I mean I don't know all I know is that it's really hard to pinpoint one specific thing that's going wrong with Mariota and I think that's why he gets criticism is because there's so many different things going on that everybody's like, well, a good quarterback should overcome that. And I understand that maybe Aaron Rodgers could, but I mean, Matt Ryan was a mediocre quarterback for years, even though he had Julio and Roddy White and 
you know, really good targets. And then he finally got good coaching that worked and he took his, you know, level of play to MVP levels. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll see that soon, but it, it is a little bit worrisome that we haven't yet because at some point a quarterback just loses his, you know, ego and then, you know, look what happened to Derek Carr. Like you, you just can't have that happen to Mariota. And every game we don't see an explosive offense is a game I worry that's going to happen. Okay, next part of the State of the Titans address. Derrick Henry. Look, I'm not going to sit here and, and blaspheme him any more than I already have. I will say this, though. I'm starting to honestly feel bad for him because I just think even if he is good, he's not a fit for what they're trying to do. And him sitting on the bench every day, even though he is the, you know, the starter, if you will, I just – it's not working, and, and something's got to change in that regard. Um, at, le- at least he looked good catching the two passes, right? And on the touchdown run, where he just ran right up the middle. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been defending him all year, but I, I agree. It's just this has to be a scheme fit at this point. Uh, and he simply just doesn't have the lateral agility or he's just honestly, he's just not good enough to to transcend uh, a scheme that doesn't exactly fit him. And I don't know where the Titans go from here. To be honest, I I don't I don't think he's long for this team. To be honest, yeah, it, 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 I don't know if he's complained before, but it, it seems like he's been frustrated in the past. I, and this year, he's been more frustrated himself than anything. But uh, Dion Lewis hadn't looked all that great either until this last week, but. But wow, he looked. Deion Lewis looked like 10 times the player Derrick Henry is this past week. Uh, and he's just a much better fit for this offense. There's no doubt about it. We can still keep using Henry, but he's under 3.2 yards a carry in every single game except one. Um, and that one game was against the Bills, and he only got 11 carries. So it's it's just not happening. And I don't, th- I don't think it's going to happen for the rest of the year. Uh, and I, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know what else to say about him other than he's not very good. He doesn't fit the offense and he's probably not going to stick around on this team for much longer. Uh, if Matt LaFleur stays around. Yeah. The, the, the uh, I guess most damning piece of information and it's not really information, but I was listening to, uh, midday 180 or one of those shows and Ian Rappaport was on and they asked him if there would be a trade market for Derrick Henry and Rappaport kind of stopped for a second and he said I would guess that there is a market for Derrick Henry uh, mainly because and then he talked about how he was a bigger running back with less wear and tear who is on a cheap contract and how if you're in line for a big you know uh, paycheck a five-year deal like Le'Veon Bell is it's also trade for you so if somebody needs help they want to trade for one of the cheaper guys and man if that's true then I have to imagine John Robbins trying to trade Derrick Henry for some wide receiver for some you know running back needy team I I have to imagine that's going on in some sort of uh, you know conference call I, I just I don't know how you look at what Deion Lewis did and you say okay could he have run it in from the one-yard line? And the answer is yes. And then say, okay, well then what does Derrick Henry do better than Deion Lewis at this point? And, and, I mean, 
I, I don't maybe it's run 75 yard touchdowns but other than that like I, I think everything else goes to Deion Lewis and at some point either the coaches are going to get fed up with it or Henry's going to get fed up with his usage and it's just going to be Deion Lewis's game as long as he stays healthy and, and that's that's going to happen in the near future I just don't know if that's in two weeks or in you know in week 17 but it seems like as far as I can tell, that's the trajectory of this team. So I, I don't know what you do with him from here. I, I think, and that's a good point. I'm not convinced that there would be much of a trade market for Henry. I mean, anyone who watches his tape, I, I think a, a team that maybe makes sense would be the Oakland Raiders for several reasons. You know, John Gruden is kind of Al Davis Jr. And Henry seems like an Al Davis kind of guy, but I, I just don't know. I, I think obviously the Titans are going to have to draft a running back next year, right? Uh, yeah. I I haven't looked at the – well, is Henry under contract for one more year? Yeah. Then hmm, maybe not. I mean, we're not going to cut him. So yeah, might as well give him one more year. Do we do we get any sense that they're not happy with Fluellen? I mean, Fluellen beat out Akram Wadley and uh, Dawkins in the preseason, so which isn't some you know monumental achievement. But they've stuck with him for two years. They like what he does on special teams. So if they're going to get a third guy, they're either going to ha- or a, another guy that they're going to make the third running back. He's either going to have to play a lot of special teams, or they're going to have to get rid of Lewis or Henry. And Henry is cost efficient. You know, he may he may not be doing much on the field, but he's cheap, which is why he's a tradable asset. And we see this all the time, though, where, you know, people will stick to their pre-draft evaluations instead of looking at the film. I mean, Eli Apple got traded for a fourth this weekend. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, there's going to be somebody out there who's convinced that, you know, Derrick Henry was going to be our pick in the late second or the early third if we would have gotten our chance, and now they're giving him away from it for a fifth-round pick. You know, we should jump all over that, and, you know, maybe that deal happens just, you know, like I said, a pre-draft grade more than an actual, you know, grade of the film he's had so far. Moving on to uh, the defensive side of the ball, uh, the secondary – you know, Harry Combs said today that when he goes back and he watches the film, 97% of the plays are good, and then the other 3% are really, really bad. And I don't think that's a that's unfair to say. I mean, they have held their own for the most part, but what's killed them is the gigantic deep passes that they've given up, which last year just wasn't a problem for these guys at all. I mean, that was the one thing about the Titans was they weren't going to give up deep passes and they weren't going to allow you to run the football on them. And this year, that's kind of changed. Yeah, the two biggest culprits, I mean, uh, we don't really have to say it, but first is Malcolm Butler, although I thought he was okay in this past game. At least he didn't get burned deep. Uh, This past game was clearly... Kendrick Lewis is fault, uh, probably on both of them. Uh, it looked like the first one was a miscommunication with Logan Ryan. And considering Kendrick Lewis is a backup and Logan Ryan has been here for, for two years almost already. Uh, and he's, I know, I know it's a new defense, but, um, but I, I mean, I just, I have 
more, I'm more comfortable saying that it was Kendrick Lewis's fault than it was Logan Ryan's fault. And then on the second one, it was completely Kendrick Lewis's fault. Uh, he just got absolutely burned. I have no idea what he was, he was even doing. So I am actually, I'm a. Why is Kendrick Lewis on this team? Really? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, we all we all know it's because oh Dean Pease, Dean Pease. He did play oh. with Mike Vrabel. Oh. Carried, yeah. carried his pads during their rookie year. Always said that he liked, mm. you know, that he's a really savvy vet and that when he was a rookie, he really got it quick and he was always asking quick. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's familiarity. That's anytime a vet signs on with a team late in the preseason or late in the offseason or whatever, it's more because of connections they have to that coaching staff than actual film results or else they would have been snatched up by somebody else quicker i mean that's that maybe that's just my opinion but and and dean pease is also part of it too but like i said maybe that's just my opinion and kind of me seeing things that aren't there but i mean i i don't know why he's starting to hit a crookshank i mean what what different would have happened nothing yeah no i mean i it wouldn't have been worse it might have been better yeah, and so I'm going to kind of talk about the secondary two jumping in real quick. So uh, the Titans are 22nd in pass deflections this year, and they are you know eight tied for 18th with only five interceptions, which I thought for sure switching to Kerry Combs was going to be a more aggressive style from the defensive backs. I thought it was going to be you know my man catch no balls, all that kind of stuff. Like I thought it was going to be you know, we were going to get some more DPI calls, but it was because we were going to be so active at trying to swat away passes and intercept passes and cut underneath and do all that kind of stuff. And if we gave up a 75-yard touchdown, it would be because somebody gambled and tried to get a pick and just barely missed it. But that's not, not what's happening. Like, that's what happened with Logan Ryan on Sunday. Well, yeah, but it's not because it's not because he was playing the ball correctly or the route correctly. It was just because he was playing a route concept and got beaten instead. You know, I I was expecting you know I'm in trail coverage. I'm going to take my shot and try to high point this ball in the air and do that. But really, it's like all the deep balls thrown are when a guy is already either wide open or behind the defensive back. So it's never. It's never a contested – well, I say that. Adoree Jackson does a really good job at that. Like his interception and the when he tipped up uh, – maybe it was Logan Ryan who tipped up the ball to Kevin Byard in Baltimore. It was Ryan. Like, yeah, was Ryan. Those, those are the plays I was expecting to see from this defense. Somebody being really aggressive and getting you know over the top of Hopkins or doing something like they did and then resulting in a turnover. I didn't think it would be like, you know – oh, no, if I see a ball in the air and I see that it's a deep ball, I know immediately that I'm going to look and find the wide-open guy, and that's the ball it's going to go – that's the player it's going to go to. It's just – it's been aggressive in all the worst ways because they're aggressive in you know playing everything short, and then when they see passes, except for maybe one or two times, when they see those screen passes, they really don't close as well as they should. So if they're playing off coverage, they just get the cushion eaten up. It's just – it's not what I expected to happen at all. Um, you know, another thing that I didn't expect to happen at all is Matt LaFleur's incompetency over the last three weeks. He's been bad. 
And, and what confuses me the most is the excuse, oh, he's a young coach. He's getting used to play. <laughs> you know, I get that with the la- the two-point conversion play. You know, he freaked out. He thought he was being clever and creative. He- he'll live and learn. But I'm talking about, like, the entire games, like, the offense has looks like – it looks like the Robisky offense. I'm just going to say it. That play, the jump ball to Luke Stalker, was a Terry Robisky play if I've ever seen it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And uh yeah, I don't I don't like this uh this young play caller uh narrative or like excuse. I mean, okay, it's his first year calling plays, but he's thirty eight years old. He's older than Sean McVay. Uh Kyle Shanahan is the same age as him. Why are, I don't understand why we're just giving him a pass um when he's done a lot of things wrong um that have contributed to the offensive struggles over the past few weeks, like you've said. Um, and I agree at, at some points, the offense looks exactly like the Robisky offense, especially when we're going like really tight with our wide receivers and we're just not getting a lot of spacing. I, I don't know. I thought we were going to spread things out. Uh, but I, I guess it's probably our fault for just expecting so much, uh, when it was really the Sean McVay offense, Matt LaFleur was, was just kind of there, you know? Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say that he didn't have the credentials for this job at all, because I, I think he did. Um, and I, I think it was a good risk going to get him just because of his background uh, and his work with quarterbacks in the past. Uh, but we're really seeing the, he's he really is a rookie play caller, and a lot of the offense just hasn't looked as, as good as we imagined it would be. Yeah. It, it, this is the worst thing to say, but it feels like he's coaching out of a place of fear too much like he's afraid that his plays aren't going to work instead of trying to go for splash plays like that's why we see less play action is because I think in his head he's thinking well they're going to sniff that out and they're going to know it's like, you you can't coach like that you've got to coach like I know that this play is going to be designed so well that you know Mariota and I are going to see that before the snap they're in cover two and he's going to know that the seam will be open like that's what he has to be thinking and that's what that's where he has to be from a confidence level and i think that's where he was against the eagles and then i don't know if whatever the bills did to him just completely threw him for a loop but they, i mean they're a really good defense so i mean what i think happened is they the bills kept mariota in the pocket and they you know essentially made it to where it was hard for him to run and so all of a sudden, LaFleur was like, well, now my playbook's cut in half and I can't do this and this and this. And it got in his head, and now he's coaching from the point of, well, the Bills did this to me, and then the Ravens did this to me, so what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen again instead of saying, okay, instead of trying to prevent what the defense is doing, why don't we try to exploit what they're leaving open, which is really what the good coordinators think like. I mean, Philip Rivers said in a post-game interview that the first touchdown the Titans had was one that they'd seen uh, the Titans bite on that route combination before. I think uh, Teron Davenport wrote yeah, that uh, yeah. he talked for to podcast. yeah San Diego's yeah friend of the show Teron Davenport wrote that a uh, San Diego's quarterback coach told uh, either Ken Wisenhunt or Mike McCoy no Mike McCoy is not their coach anymore Anthony Lynn that uh, that first play was going to be a touchdown. He said, "Coach, this is going to be a touchdown." He called a shot. Yeah, and he was damn. I mean, he was like Lane Kiffin in, in his Alabama days, where he was raising up the touchdown sign before the ball was even in the air. Like 
it, it was something that was so well scouted that they knew that was going to be a touchdown. And that's what good offensive coordinators do is they say, okay, this is this team's flaw. I don't care if they blitz 11. I know exactly where this ball is going and when it's going to be out. And if it doesn't get out in time, we'll figure that out later. But you've got to coach from a place of, I know Corey Davis 50 yards down the field on a post is going to be open because this is the cover three defense they run. So this is what we're going to do and adjust to it as the game goes along. And I think that's where he's struggling. I don't think he's aggressive enough and I don't think he's adjusting well enough. So mm-hmm. I did not see this coming, but it, it is on par with somebody who's calling plays for the first time and kind of gets punched in the mouth. Like it, it takes, it takes a little bit of time to adjust and the great ones adjust quick and normal people don't. And LaFleur has been normal. Like he has been, you know, not good, not bad over his tenure now that it's all kind of leveled out for a half a season. He's been normal. Now he's got to figure out what to do when his receivers refuse to, you know, catch passes and he can't run the ball because no, you know, no good running back and no good offensive line in terms of run blocking. So now he's got those obstacles to deal with. But what can't be the problem is he can't be afraid of being aggressive down the field. And we'll, we'll see how that comes from here on out. Yeah, I, I think the more concerning part is that we're not even like we're not getting our guys in, in into matchups that are favorable to our players, and it could just be a personnel thing. Uh, but I mean, just look at the Rams; they get Cooper Cup matched up on linebackers all the time. Uh, they get Todd Gurley in space all the time, uh, and it just seems like we're not really doing that. I haven't seen Corey Davis uh, really be, been used in that in that aspect since uh, since the Eagles game. I know Taewon can't catch the ball, but he's at least fast and explosive, and he hasn't really been put into situations where he can catch and run the ball, um, especially since, since what, like the Texans game where, where he cut that screen pass and took it to the house. So I think that's the more concerning part to me. I'm just not seeing very innovative things from the offense, uh, and on top of that, the play calls have been kind of iffy. If, if this team has Todd Gurley, are they 5-1? and one? No. No. Our offensive line can't block, so it doesn't really matter. No, think about how many times they've thrown the ball. Like, Okay, so think about the Chargers game. They had those two catches to Derrick Henry where he had five yards of runway to go. And then there just been – there's so many plays that stick out in my head where instead of throwing it to Nick Williams, you throw it to Todd Gurley and you get him open, and that changes the, ball, the Buffalo game. And then – you obviously, because you have confidence in your running back to get one yard, you give him the ball on the two-point play, and he scores, and you win this game. Don't I mean the only blowout was uh, the Baltimore game? I, I don't know, I, and it's hard to say that a team is ever a running back away because your offensive line has to be cohesive. But I just think you know if this team had Le'Veon Bell or you know David Johnson or somebody like that who can be effective in space and be like a little bit more run through contact than Deion Lewis, except what we saw last week. Like, forget that. But I mean, if you had somebody who can make those big kind of plays, I don't know. Maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I think they win a couple more games. You might be right, actually, because Derrick Henry goes, Oh my, he gets tackled by, <laughs> by arms. Yeah. By yeah. one arm. Yeah. And he goes like flipping like yeah, a somersault. There's a lot of plays where it is, like, when you watch it back, the play is blocked up 
okay, but a defensive lineman who is still engaged with an offensive lineman sticks an arm out and slows Derrick Henry down, and he stops and gives the rest of the defense or that same guy time to get off his block, and instead of lowering his head and running through contact, you get a tackle for one yard, and it, it that can't happen. As a running back, if you are getting to the line of scrimmage, you have to get two or three yards because if you end up in second nine, you've screwed the offensive drive. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, last part of our State of the Titans address, you kind of hinted at it with, with Taewon Taylor. I want to talk real quick about the receiver position. Uh, a lot of criticism in the last week or so, lots of, of, of trade talk. Um, I asked uh, Taewon Taylor some questions yesterday about you know, the, the drops and, and the situation that these guys are in. And he gave me a lot of coach speak. I asked him, I said, you know, everyone wants the Titans to trade for receivers. That criticism fair? And he pulled a, you know, uh, we, we try to ignore the noise card. Uh, and, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, self-evaluation, you know, what do you think about your own performance? And he gave me, you know, I'm never satisfied. I'm always looking to improve. I'm like, God, you know, I just, I want these guys to say we suck and we need to be better, you know? Yeah, uh, that'd be nice, some accountability. But I mean, it is what it is. I, Do we want I, to talk more about them, or just just point yeah, out I that mean, they've dropped twelve passes? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't... think look, we can say this: Corey Davis is a very good athlete who has proven that he can play well. And I was starting to be on his train, especially after the Philadelphia game. But then I called it yeah. on Twitter on Sunday. I called it the, the Corey Davis disappearing act. And then he reappeared momentarily on Sunday to drop a pass, crucial pass on third down. Like it's not just the, four, the third and fifth round picks that are doing this. It's Corey Davis, you know, who's the crown jewel supposedly of this receiving core. And as you mentioned, Taewon Taylor sometimes looks like he has no clue what he's doing. And Tajay Sharp, of all people, who I love and will, you you can, uh, you, you can, oh man, I, that was so satisfying seeing Tajay Sharp turn into, uh, oh, I don't know, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm, I'm going nowhere with this. I'm pretty sure I'm the guy who has never maybe liked was, Tajay maybe Sharp. Maybe it was, I was, like, I, was like, I was like, yeah. It's definitely me. <laughs> he was great. He's been great over the past couple of weeks, actually. So, I, I good for him, but good for our offense, too. Uh, but he's still just, you know, the catch-it-and-go-down guy. He's never really going to give you a lot of yak, which is fine. You need that You need that guy in your offense. Uh, but you can't. That, that guy can't be your number one or two receiver just because it, it's just the way that it is. You need explosive plays, and we're not getting explosive plays. And, yeah, I kind of want to touch on Corey Davis a little bit. I still feel good about him. I, I like him as a player, but he's just, he doesn't seem like the number one elite wide receiver that AJ Green or Julio Jones or even Juju Smith Schuster look like. He doesn't look like that guy. I, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Maybe in a better offense, he would. Uh, but he just makes way too many mistakes and he doesn't impact games like a lot of those other receivers on other teams do. Uh, and Taewon, uh, I'm done. I'm done with Taewon. I can't even, I can't defend him anymore. He just drops so many passes. He never seems to be in the right place at the right time. And there's a reason he doesn't play that many snaps. 
the coaches just see the things uh, that happen on the field. They must see it in practice, and they they must see him just committing mistake after mistake after mistake. And considering that we traded up for him in the third round, uh, and we gave up, uh, I can't remember what we gave up, but just trading up for him in the third round, uh, he should be better than he is right now. Yeah, and I think we've all kind of been a little bit disappointed with what Taewon's done. You know, it's it seems like forever ago that he was catching a pass from Blaine Gabbert and turning something nothing into something when he had thirty yards on that touchdown catch uh, on that screen. Like it, it wasn't that, and he had a good game against the Eagles, I think, too, where he had something like seventy yards. Or I mean, he had yeah. a good. Like, seven for 77 I yeah i mean he had that sideline catch on fourth and 15 or fourth and 13 or whatever it was that you know ended up on the, on the overtime drive that ended up helping contribute to the game when like i that that's so weird that he can be so good and then disappear Corey davis is getting like real legit attention from defenses though like they know that he's the one guy that can wreck teams in the passing game so they give him double coverage or they could use their best man to cover him like the bills had trey white cover like shadow him for a while but the the reason he's not getting a chance to make these big plays is because the titans aren't being aggressive down the field i mean if you've got defensive backs who can sit essentially at the five you know five ten yards off the ball and they know they're going to be able to drive on the pass route and they don't have to worry about getting burned deep like I mean it's really hard to catch and run with anything so you've got to stretch the field and you've really got to attack deep so that the stuff underneath opens up even if like if that's what you want to do that's how you've got to attack it so as soon as this offense gets more aggressive and uses Corey Davis deep instead of Taewon Taylor deep you're going to see more impact plays but I mean, it's hard when you're getting covered by the best team's, you know, best cornerback, and also he knows that you're only only going to go ten or seven yards before your break, and it's just, it's it's not really fair to the wide receiver at that point. But I mean, no, mm-hmm. I don't. I had really high hopes for Corey Davis when he came in the league. I think he can still be really good, but no, he. I mean, he doesn't look like AJ Green, or he doesn't look like Julio Jones, or any of those guys. But I mean he looks better than Amari Cooper has this year and he just got traded for a first. I mean, you know, I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind that he is a valuable receiver and that he is somebody who in two wide receiver sets should be starting for 30 teams, 31 teams in the NFL, not the Vikings. But I mean, he, he is a guy who with a competent play caller and with good protection and an aggressive mindset could be a thousand, 1200 yard receiver in the NFL. So and that's that's some like pre scouting stuff like we talked about earlier with people who are gonna like Derrick Henry. Like I see enough flashes to where I'm competent confident that he's going to be good if given the chance. But you know, who knows? It's it's all just words right now until the offense is aggressive enough to prove me right. All right, that concludes our state of the Titans address. Uh, now we're gonna shift gears a little bit and welcome our guest onto the show. Uh, Eric Backrack is the new Titans beat writer for the Tennessee, and he replaced uh, Jason Wolf earlier this year. And uh, we thought we would get him on to uh, talk about his experience so far and uh, the Titans' three-game losing skid. Joined now by Eric Backrack of the Tennessean. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. You just got back from London uh, yesterday, the day before. In general, what was that trip like? Uh, it was it was pretty cool, Luke. I had never been to to Europe. Uh, this was my first experience over there. 
so it, it was kind of just cool to, you know, be in the, in the city as a tourist. Um, and at the same time, honestly, I, I didn't feel all that touristy, except for probably the Saturday before the game when I was, you know, running around seeing some of the sites. Uh, it kind of just felt like, uh, you know, I was there to do a job and, and, and cover the team. And, uh, you know, it was kind of cool just to ride the tube and get that experience, take the tube to, to Wembley Stadium. Uh, and then at Wembley Stadium itself, I think the coolest thing was just sort of the, the crowd itself, um, sort of the, the diversity of, of fandom that you saw, uh, you know, throughout the stand. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, pretty crazy. My, uh, my train ride over, uh, I think there was, I counted 10 different jerseys uh, in this one little train car um, and kind of just, you know, eavesdropping on some of the conversations and uh, hearing what some of the, you know, European American football fans had to say, uh, that was really interesting and just something I had never experienced before. What's the, what's the NFL atmosphere like over there? Because as you mentioned, there's fans of so many different teams. You're not like, it's not like a game at the Titans stadium where everyone's going to be either a Titans jersey or the, the team that's going against them. So what, what's the football atmosphere like? What kind of conversations do you hear among those British fans? And, and what's it like when you have a press conference in that like castle looking building with all the statues and all of the, the English media there? Yeah, that was that was definitely a first for for everybody involved. Uh, as far as the atmosphere, uh, you know, it was interesting just as far as um, kind of what uh, the fans were all about there. Obviously, you know, European football fans are, are no joke. Uh, football is, you know, when it comes to uh, soccer. Uh, for for American football, though, uh, you know, just for example, on, on my train ride over, I heard a couple of guys kind of debating which uh, which Manning brother was was funnier, Eli or Peyton. Was funnier uh, to me. That's a, that's a no-brainer. But yeah, who was funnier? Um, so they were going back and forth about that. Uh, to me, that's that's clearly Peyton. I think he's hilarious. Uh, but anyway, uh, kind of just you know hearing some of those conversations and and during the game itself, it was it was interesting because uh, you know as you mentioned, it's it's not you know strictly Titans fans, strictly Chargers fans. Uh, there was you know a, a good bit of representation for each of those teams and. Um, you know, obviously some diehards made their way over, but, you know, for the most part, it was kind of this sort of uh, uh, adopted team kind of mentality for, for the fans there. Um, and, you know, it might not be for the entire game. You might, uh, you know, decide you're rooting for the Chargers early, kind of like what the Titans are doing in Swiss sides. So it was kind of hard to size up, you know, exactly how much of, of each portion of the, the crowd was for each team. Uh, and, and that was kind of cool, just just sort of seeing how that the, you know that kind of played out uh, as the game progressed. Your, your thoughts on, on how hey, Eric, this is Matthias. Uh, before we uh, start you're, asking you're taking over after Jim Wyatt and Jason Wolf at the uh, Tennessean, uh, and you had previously covered MTSU. So, what has it been like covering uh, an NFL team, um, and especially in your first year um, with a company like the Tennessean? How has it been? Uh, have there been different challenges? Um, that you've had to get used to, and what's the overall uh, feeling you have uh, being there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's definitely stepping into a spot where uh, you know a couple of a lot of legends have, have you know been in the same spot that I am in now. Uh, so there was, you know, honestly, a little bit of, of pressure there, just kind of knowing some of the guys that have filled this role before me. Uh, and it's it's a it's a lot different than you know Conference USA. I'll say that uh, <laughs> I covered MPSU and in Murfreesboro for about a year. Uh, and that was a really great experience. And, um, it's, it's, you know, really hard to compare the two beats just because of, you know, how, how different they are on the spectrum. Um, you know, on the one hand, MTSU is, 
uh, you know, obviously a, a smaller college beat, um, Division One, but, you know, not a Power Five program school. Uh, so with that comes, uh, you know, less pressure, less competition, but uh, some really great stories. And, and, you know, that was the cool part about that job for me. That was, you know, such a big part of the appeal was uh, kind of looking for the stories that nobody else was telling, mostly because, you know, I was, I was the only one there at practice every single day. So just taking advantage of that was uh, a really important step and, and important part of my career uh, and something that I really enjoyed. And uh, honestly, it's, it's kind of been nice to, to follow the Blue Raiders this season, uh, you know, just as a fan, because you spend a, a, a year, you know, around that program and, and all those guys. And uh, there's just a lot of good people there. So it's it's impossible not to root for them, you know, just with, with how close I got, uh, you know, that, that year that I was there. And then, you know, looking at the Titans beat, it's, it's obviously, um, you know, just a, a different world. There's, there's a lot more competition. It's, um, you know, there's, you're never really off the clock. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's been a big challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, every day is uh, something new for me. I'm learning something new, you know, I'm only 26 years old. So I, I, I do feel really grateful to be in the spot that I'm in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been really, um, uh, sort of a special experience. I think it's, it's something that, you know, I'm not going to forget. Uh, the whole thing has honestly kind of been a whirlwind. It's kind of been, uh, just a, a, a quirky, uh, wild season, to be honest, starting with, you know, my first NFL game that I covered was uh, a seven-hour, eight-minute marathon, and that was my only context for covering an NFL game. So I uh, started with that, and kind of just got weirder as we went along. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been a great learning experience for me, and, um, you know, I'm just lucky that I'm sort of surrounded by, um, you know, just a lot of good people at the Tennessee and that have, you know, helped me uh, as I go. Yeah, that's that's all cool and very interesting. Um, I didn't I didn't realize you'd covered MPSU anyway. Uh, so we're recording this Thursday night, and there's been no rumors of trades with the Titans. You know, Damon Harrison's been traded, and I've I've always liked him. Are you surprised that there's not even you know whispers about a potential move, at least publicly, that the Titans are going to make with all the questions they have at wide receiver? And with just the lack of any sort of momentum on offense, it, it seems like this is the time, especially with the bye week, that you would imagine that a big move, even if it's just a fifth-round pick, happens. But I, I've heard nothing. Are you surprised by that, or you think that's kind of status quo? Uh, I, I mean, I might be surprised that we we haven't heard you know whispers of anything, but you know, I, I do think it's you know, to some extent status quo. And, and obviously, you know, just with, with some of the needs that you just mentioned, um, you know, that this team has on its roster, you, you know, John Robinson is, is you know, made a, a, a bunch of calls and will continue to make a bunch of calls until the trade deadline hits. So, you know, he's, he's working the phones day and night right now. Um, you know, I, to be honest, uh, not totally surprised that, that we haven't, um, you know, seen anything go down yet. Uh, but again, maybe a little surprised that we haven't heard that much because this is a team that, that could really, you know, use some depth at, at a couple positions. And then obviously wide receivers is a top that list. Uh, you know, if you're not going to bring in, you know, a, a number one or number two caliber guy, which, you know, I wouldn't expect um, depth uh, at that position, you know, arguably is, 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 you know, as important as anything, just because, you know, let's say, Corey Davis or, or Tajay Sharp, who is, you know, beginning to really look like a number two type receiver. Either of those guys go down, and, and you know, Corey Davis has obviously dealt with a, a hamstring injury 
uh, that's that's reoccurred the past the past year. You know, if somebody like that goes down, uh, you know, this team, as far as pass catchers go, you know, immediately sort of uh, shifts into DEFCON one, just with sort of the, the concern there. So I think they could really um, really benefit with, with just padding their depth there. You know, if not if not bringing in um, you know a legitimate uh, number two type guy. The two teams that were one and two in the AFC South last year, Jacksonville and the Titans, have been in skids these last couple of weeks, and they're handling it in completely opposite manners. You know, you walk into the Titans locker room yesterday, and you know guys are shooting basketball. There's people just kind of chatting, hanging out, playing music. And then whereas the Jacksonville Jaguars locker room, they had to kick the media out because the players were literally fighting with each other. So obviously the Jaguars approach is not the way to go, but do you get the impression, I'm curious what you think, that the Titans locker room is too complacent with how things have been? That's, that's a good question, and, and I thought that at times, um, but I, I, I think at the same time this is what, you know, uh, you know, obviously you don't want uh, the alternative, which is what the Jaguars are going through. I think it kind of just speaks to, you know, how this team feels about its potential. Um, you know, there are some, some um, you know, weaknesses across the roster that we've, we've talked about a little bit, but, uh, you know, they're, they're close. Uh, a couple of the games that they lost, the Chargers game, you know, they complete that two-point conversion. Um, obviously, they're, they're in a good, really good spot to win that, and there's probably five plays in that game uh, you know, the two lawn passes that they gave up on blown coverages, uh, a couple of drafts by Corey Davis and, and Taewon Taylor, and then the Mariota pick, you know, any of those swing their way, uh, they probably win a game against the Chargers that, that honestly I thought they were going to lose by two scores. Uh, so I think, you know, the defense is solid. If, if receivers could start, you know, just holding on to the football, I think they're in a good spot. Um, you know, Mariota hasn't been, you know, exactly, you know, that consistent, but he's, um, you know, put them in a spot to win this past week, obviously the Ravens game. Uh, you know, I think that was uh, just a, a total aberration and a fluke and uh, I, I guess an example of how badly it can go. But, um, you know, I think the, the locker room right now is a reflection of, of, of just that, the fact that, you know, they're not in this sort of the sky is falling mindset right now, um, which is good. I, I think you want that. I, I think, you know, at times, you know, from our perspective, the media, you would kind of like, you know, a little bit of frustration. We've, we've seen that from, a, you know, occasionally. Uh, Derrick Henry is, is one example. You know, early in the season, he was very self-critical. That's the type of thing that uh, is encouraging, I think, from, from every perspective. So, uh, you know, I, to me, it, it's not that, you know, biggest thing that they're not, um, you know, saying uh, or, or kind of being, um, you know, as you mentioned, a little too complacent, I think. The locker room is, is, you know, in good spirits, which is, you know, important in a, in a three-game losing streak. Now, you know, if that continues, um, you know, you, you definitely want to see much more urgency out of, out of some of the veterans in that locker room for sure. Uh, you touched on Marcus Mariota a little bit, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on him uh, going forward and into the future. Uh, Will and I have kind of been fighting this battle the, the entire year. It's mostly uh, and against we're kinda... me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're kind of bordering on uh, on being fanboys at this point, but I really I really don't think Marcus Mariota has been that bad this year. Uh, I thought he played really well in the Eagles game, uh, second half of the Jaguars game uh, last week. I thought was one of his better performances that we've seen that we've seen in a while, and I think he's just been hurt by 
the offensive line not playing as well as it has been in recent years, and the wide receivers have just been flat out awful, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think Mariota's been great, but I I don't think a lot of the offensive struggles have been his his doing. Um, and I still think he's the quarterback of the future because I just I, I feel like what he can bring to you within an offense um, that's tailored to his strength and has more weapons than we have right now at the wide receiver position just could really uh, he could be the franchise guy. And I, I kind of want to to know if you think this season has been kind of an aberration or, or do you think um, this is the type of performances we're going to see uh, for the rest of his career? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you touched on a lot of you know good points there as far as, uh, you know, he hasn't exactly been getting a ton of help to sort of you know, put it all on him. You know, I definitely wouldn't do that. And, um, you know, I kind of, I, I, I agree with, with the fact that, you know, he's, he's not as bad as, um, or hasn't been as bad as, you know, some people that are bashing him have said it, you know, he's, like I said, he, he kind of put them in a spot last week where they, they had a good shot to win, um, you know, a couple of drops and, and the one interception is obviously the play that he wants back. Um, but when you factor in just the fact that he hasn't been getting a lot of help, uh, and then also, you know, he has been dealing with this, um, this nerve injury that, you know, we, we know it's still, you know, maybe he's at 95% right now, but, um, I, I think it's probably fair to say that he's not at a hundred percent just because he's still wearing that partially cut glove. Uh, that was something that, um, you know, he said, uh, when, when he feels comfortable taking it off, uh, he's going to do so because he would prefer that way just to, um, you know, not sort of have this awkward, um, half glove on his hand. But um, it does help with the grip uh, while he's dealing with this injury. So, you know, whether he's at, you know, uh, 88% or 95% or 99%, we know he's probably still not at 100. So he's still dealing with that. Um, and, and that's been, um, you know, something he's dealt with pretty much the entire season. So, you know, you factor that in with um, sort of the lack of help that he's gotten. And obviously the, the, the drop ball thing is something that's gone on all year. And, um you know, there's been a, a bunch of instances. They, they really seem like they've come in um, huge spots. And, uh, you know, one way or the other, Mariota, that pass to Nick Williams would have put them in a good spot to win against the Bills game. Uh, you know, Darius Jennings drops one against the Eagles that they were lucky, you know, really didn't come back to bite them. So he's made a lot of sort of game-winning plays this season. Um, and it's kind of some of the other guys on the team that have let him down. So, uh, I feel good about him right now as, as, as leading this team into the future. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if you would call him uh, elite and then you're waiting for him to take that step and maybe, you know, he never makes that leap. But I think you could you could go very far with this quarterback, um, you know, assuming that uh, the guys around him are, are doing a good job and, and he's healthy. So I'm looking at the Titans roster I think there are several really talented players, you know, Conklin, Lawan, Mariota, Corey Davis. There's there's several players on this team who either are currently stars or could be stars in the future. But then when I look at the groups as a whole, I don't see any unit that stands out to me as a strength. If you had to pick one strength of the Titans, what do you think it is? Uh, probably, honestly, probably special teams, uh, just because – you know, you feel really good when, when Ryan Tuckup comes in to kick and you feel really good when uh, Greg Kern is lining up to, to sort of flip the field. That's that's kind of been, uh, you know, the one consistent this, this season. The defense has been pretty good, but, you know, the run defense at times hasn't been great. Uh, and, and, you know, we spoke a little bit about the, the long passes that have uh, really burnt them. 
Um, you know, aside from, I, I think Suckup is 15 of 17. Um, you know, he almost beat the Bills by himself with his leg. Uh, Kern uh, maybe had one one down game. Other than that, he's seems like every time he's got a chance to pin an opponent inside the 10, he does so. Uh, and then, you know, uh, you know, as far as punt coverage um, and, and returning, you know, we just saw a good game from Darius Jennings as a returner. So, you know, I think on, on either side of that, they're, they're solid as well. That, to me, is probably the, the one strongest phase of the Titans game because, obviously, uh, you know, it's not the offense. The offense has been sort of the question mark all season and um, will continue to do so. And, and, you know, I think the defense is really good. You know, they're averaging – I think it's like 18.1 points allowed per game, which is a great figure. Uh, I think it's top five in the NFL, so so that's really solid. Uh, so there's a case to be made for the defense too, but I think it's definitely the special teams. Last thing before we let you go, Eric, uh, I'm curious. So far since you've been on this beat, who's your favorite Titans player to talk to and interview? A very good question. Uh, I mean, the, the obvious answer is probably Taylor Lewan, just because, yeah. you know, no matter what you're writing about, like, you don't have to have a topic. You could just go up and start a conversation with that dude, and you've got a story, uh, literally, no matter what you're talking about. I really like Steve Kevin, too, and, um, you know, I kind of built a little bit of a rapport with him while I was still at MTSU, covering MTSU. Uh, it's funny, I was at the, uh, the Baltimore game last year where he had a couple of picks. I was, I was helping out uh, the Tennessean with coverage. And uh, so my plan going there uh, was just to, to speak to Kevin Byard anyway. Um, you know, after the game, I knew I was going to have some sidebar-type story assigned to me. Uh, so I was going to do, you know, whatever I had to do for that and then kind of duck aside and, and you know, just introduce myself to, to Kevin and um, kind of do this uh, representing MTSU on, on the national stage-type story. And then he goes out and has two interceptions. So he ended up being my sidebar anyway, and uh, I kind of got two stories out of it. So... You know, he's been a great guy to speak to, um, a really good guy. Uh, you know, he's never short um, on things to say. Uh, kind of tough to transcribe him just because he's one of these, like, mile-a-minute speakers. Yes. Uh, but it's always good stuff. I always love, you know, going back and, and listening uh, back to what he said. So uh, those are probably my top two guys right there. Uh, I really just like speaking with Bayard. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it as well. You can follow Eric on Twitter. Uh, his username is very simple. It's just his name, at Eric Backrack. All right. Now we are going to transition into our game of uh, Titans trivia. So I, I think we have each have three questions that we've brought to the table. Is that right? Correct. I, I can no. oh. we'll, we'll, we'll keep Will's fourth as a potential tiebreaker. Um so how this will work is we'll, we'll do the usual rotation. We'll go from me to Matthias to Will, and we'll ask the question to the other two. And so, uh, like, when I ask my question, you two go to this, this chat that we're on and type in your answer. But do it honestly and, like, don't look at the other person's answer. <laughs> and wh whoever gets it in first gets a point. If no one gets it, no one gets a point. Okay. Um, and then we'll just see who has the most points at the end. So everybody right. has the chance to potentially get six points. I have a feeling that won't happen. All right, are you ready? Let's 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 kick this off. Uh, let's cue some uh, some trivia music. There we go. And uh, here we go. All right, my first question for Will and Matthias. You ready? Yeah. 
Yes. All right, the Titans' first ever draft pick was Javon Curse. Who was the number one overall pick in that draft? <laughs> what can we get the year? It's 1999. Oh shit! You're both wrong, so you both get another guess. Will's, oh my! Will said Michael oh. Vick, and Matias said Peyton Manning. Oh, Peyton was 98, right? Yeah. I have no this idea. It's a tough one. I don't think I could have gotten this. One. Oh. What's his name? No. Tim Couch was the answer. Oh. <laughs> I never would have gotten that. All right, Matias, it's your turn. Okay. Uh, my first question: Who is the Titans' all-time leader in passing rate, passer rating? Passer Minimum rating? of passer rating, QB rating. Sorry. And uh, minimum of five pass attempts. Oh, minimum of five pass attempts. <laughs> Did I get it? No, Byron only has one pass attempt. Uh, I wasn't thinking. So we both get another guess now. Yeah, we'll do it like you get two guesses if you're both wrong. It's not a quarterback. I'll, I'll give you that hint. Okay. okay. Who is it? I'm trying to think. Who's throwing a pass? No, DeMar that's DeMarco's not. throwing two passes. Is it just two? Yeah. I guess we had tight end passes and all that dumb shit. This guy is actually attempted six passes and completed five of them. A non-tight end that attempted five passes. A non-QB. No, or a non-QB, my bad. He's probably a non-tight end. <laughs> I mean, I've got a million guesses. I have, like, I have, I'm not even I'm going to yield my second guess. What, what's the answer? It is Frank Wycheck has a perfect 158.3 passer. No I, had no, I had no idea. Crazy. Wow. So okay. it's, it's definitely not a non-tight end. Okay, yeah. mine, really aren't, mine really aren't as, uh, as, I guess, difficult as yours. I went, <laughs> I went deep diving. <laughs> I did. Uh, okay, so we'll do this in a back and forth kind of way because I've got two of these kind of questions. So, Luke, you can answer first. And okay. if you're the first one to be wrong, loses and the other one gets a point. Okay. Okay, name the last five players with a thousand receiving yards. In the NFL? No, for the Titans. Oh, okay. Mine are very Titan centric. Okay, I'll, I'll just say it out loud since we're going back and forth. Is that okay? Yeah. Delaney. That is correct. Oh, I have to go now? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, do they have to be in order? No. <laughs> You do not have to get them in order, but they do have to be chronologically the last five wide receivers or or one tight end. Now that you got that, uh, to get. I'm gonna Drew Bennett. That is correct. Okay. Kendall Wright. That is correct. Oh, oh my God. Derek Mason. That is correct. Oh man, I, I'm I'm put in a bad spot because I have the last one. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And the hardest. Is it Kenny Britt? It was Nate Washington. Oh, that's oh. right, in 2011. I would have said a Y check, honestly. So Matias gets the point. Matias gets the first point. Nice. Okay, my second question is also the same kind of format. So we'll start with, uh, let's see, I think there's an odd number. Yeah, there's an odd number, so we'll start with Matias so he ends up with the last one. No, okay. Um, 
The 2011 NFL draft class is considered the best of all time. Name mm. the Titans picks from that draft class. Uh, Jake Locker. That's one. Akeem Ayers. That's two. And they don't have to be in order, even though those two were. Oh, God. <laughs> Jarrell Casey. Yep. Carl Clue. Yep. Oh, my God. I'm done. <laughs> I'm just... done. <laughs> Hold on, 2011? Yeah. Oh, this is looking up. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. Other than the fact that they blew it in the first round, it actually wasn't that bad of a draft class. It was solid. They did blow it in the first, though. I have no idea. All right, you ready for the rest of the answers? Wait, yeah. wait. Nope, you conceded. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. I legit don't know. So don't Will know. gets a point. And the other answers were Colin McCarthy. Oh, wow. Jamie Harper. No. Byron Stingley. Nope. Tommy Campbell. And, and Zach Clayton, who I've never heard of before. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten any of those. Zach Clayton, defensive lineman from Auburn. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yep. Auburn. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Matias, your, your question. Okay, second question. So since 1999, nothing before that, uh, since, since the Titans came to Tennessee, so, uh, which running back has scored the most rushing touchdowns in a single season and how many? Oh. For the Titans or just in general? For the Titans, sorry. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like it's Eddie George, but I I couldn't come up with like how many. And I feel, like if, it, though. I feel like if it was Eddie George, you wouldn't ask that question because it would be too obvious. We be writing this in the chat. Yeah, you probably should. Yeah, I'm brainstorming out loud. Okay. It's not like, it's not like I'm making any revelations out loud. It's Eddie George. Hmm. True test of your Titanhood. Nope. Nope. You're both wrong. Did we did we get the player right? Nope. Neither one of us. No. Okay. Did we get another guess? Yeah, we you yeah, get two guesses. What's that dude's name? Uh, Fantastic year, by the way. Great year for the Titans. Nope. Damn it, Travis. Henry? Travis. Henry? When did Eric? Oh, Travis. <laughs> I, I was. I, I was trying to think an off the wall name. I was like, maybe he got a bunch of vulture touchdowns, and that's what happened. Who's the dude from USC? I can't think of his name. Is it him? <laughs> Uh, yes. Okay. Reggie Bush. Okay, I got his name, but I don't know. Okay, is that it? Mm, well, okay, you spelled his name wrong, but it's Lendell White, and he had 15. What? Wow. In 2008. Lendell White had 15 touchdowns? Yeah, smash and dash, dude. Oh, Mr. Tacos and Tequila himself. Wow. Yeah, so, 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 no okay. points for that one. Yeah. That was a tough one. Uh, really off the wall. Mine are tough, man. Just wait till the last one. Okay. Uh, Will, your question. Okay. Um, so, same style. Okay. Name Matias starts last... this one. Yeah, Matias starts this one. Name the last five pass rushers with ten or more sacks. Ooh. Um... <laughs> Uh, Javon Curse. Uh, 
Uh, no, that is incorrect. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you could have said a rat foe. That was the easy one. Yeah, a rat. Yeah, with ten. I was just yeah. say a rat foe. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the last five are, and and I should maybe I shouldn't have said pass rusher, which e- either way it's fine, I guess. But the last five chronologically are Brian Arakpo, Jarrell Casey, Jason Babin, Kyle Van Nittosh, and Kevin Carter. I could have gotten all of those except for Babin and Carter. Yeah, I knew somebody would say curse. I just didn't know if you would remember uh, Babin or if it would be after KVB and then it would be somebody saying curse. Or And I wasn't sure if somebody would think that Albert Hainsworth maybe got 10, which he did not, obviously. Not a good showing on that one. Oh, uh, live update, uh, DeMarco Murray, who I follow on Instagram, just posted a photo with him and John Robinson at a West Virginia football game. Oh, come back. He said, my guy. All right. So we're, we're all tied <laughs> up after, after two questions. Um, so let's, let's do another round. So... Everyone knows that in uh, 2010, Chris Johnson had his, or maybe it was 08, had his famous 2,000-yard season. How many, oh, nine. Oh, nine. How many receiving yards did he have that season? You can be within 75 yards. Will you just have to be closer. Okay. The answer was, um, I have in my notes 500. I think that was just an estimation. It, Matias wins. It was in the 500 range. Yeah, I said 450 for those listening home. Because I know I knew he had like 2,500 yards from scrimmage. Yeah, and I was thinking, I was thinking he beat Marshall Falk. 503. Right? It was 503. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Get ready for this one, guys. Also, since 1999, which player has the most defensive touchdowns scored for the Titans? Most defensive touchdowns? Not yes. Special teams. Nah, oh, not special teams. Nope. This one's impossible, honestly. <laughs> oh, okay. Are those both wrong? We, we said uh, Cortland Finnegan and Michael Griffin. Yeah, they were both wrong. Hmm. Wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Was it defensive touchdown? or? Oh, no, sorry. It was... <laughs> no, no, it was interception return for touchdown. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think that would have changed our answers. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so since 1999, the guy who had the most interceptions returned for touchdown. With the Titans. Um, oh, man. If you get this, you're a saint. No. That, that was, that was going to be my guess. I said Samari Roll, just for anybody. Uh, and I added a question. Oh, can't, see, can't see, right. So, Most uh, interception return for touchdowns. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Lucas still. Yeah, I still have a second. I mean, I'm trying to think of people who have had them. Wow, this is tough. Yeah, it is tough. It is tough. No one would get this right. Okay, if I'm, you get- I'm just going to guess Adam Jones. No. It's uh, Vincent Fuller, former mm-hmm. nickel cornerback. Yeah. Vinny Fuller, weird. How many? How many did he have? Three. Four. Andre Di- Andre Dyson Four. had three. Finnegan had three. And uh, Griffin had Griffin's not even on here, man. He had one. So, well, Finnegan Finnegan was my choice, but Luke beat me to it. And I was trying to think if there was ever a time where like Griffin was 
just really when during his Pro Bowl year, but yeah, I feel you. So how how now it's a uh, Matias or excuse me, Matias, you have the one point lead at this point. Do I? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Receiving yards. So Will still has to ask his next question. If I get it right, I go. We go to another question. For, okay. Okay. So Will. So- yeah, so I'll do the easiest of my two left. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is a, a who gets closer. Okay. How many winning seasons have the Titans had in the last 21 years? That's 21 years. That's that's since they moved, and I can adjust this since. Oh now. my! That's since it's they 99. moved of Houston. Uh, huh. I said five. Matias said eight. I, yeah. Uh, the correct answer, whether you're gauging it from uh, either 1999 or 1997, is nine. The Titans have had nine winning years. Aha! So Matias wins the so trivia Matias. game. The one of us that's not from Tennessee. <laughs> right. And, and now, Will, go ahead and ask your last question anyway. Okay. Uh, so... The Titans coming into the season were on a pretty good pace with a chance to have their best uh, three-year stretch, I thought at least, um, as they were, since they've been Titans. What is the most wins in a three-year stretch that the Titans have had since moving to Tennessee? So, out of 48 potential wins... Luke, you hate Titans. I was going to say like 34, maybe. That is 100% correct. It is wow. No way. What a, from 98 to 2000, they won 34 games with a 70% win rate. Oh, I, thought it was, I thought it was like 99 to 01, honestly. Yeah, Matias truly deserves the award picking 34. I said <laughs> I, wow, I nailed it. Yeah, Luke said 25 because he thinks the Titans have never won a game. <laughs> Dude, I, yeah, what did we we had like a year where we won like thirteen. Yeah, we went we were ten and eleven or something. So thirteen and three, thirteen and three, uh, and eight. So it was ninety eight was eight wins. Yep. Ninety nine was thirteen, and two thousand was thirteen. The next year, when you when you thought uh, the thirty four happened, they won seven games in two thousand one. So it was only a thirty three game. Uh, only 33 wins over the last only three years yeah they've won 13 games three times in the past 21 years and they've won double digit games one two three four five six six times in the last 21 years so not not as bad as titans fans especially new titans fans think yeah it's been a long time since we've won back-to-back 10 win seasons okay it's uh, that was fun that was, that yeah. was fun. One more segment in our bi-week extravaganza, and it's the the cold take uh, time. <laughs> so instead of us each revealing our own, I thought it'd be fun if we, we pick on each other. And uh, so I, I have one for Will right now. And it was written following we, – we said before we were going to do the episode that this was going to be preseason cold takes, but really this is more recent than that. After the Philadelphia Eagles game, Will Lomas wrote an article titled, The Tennessee Titans are among the NFL elite. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, baby. And it was true then. <laughs> uh, I 100% backed down from that statement because that was right after the game where uh, it looked like we were going to really be aggressive and actually try to score points. Yeah. And and then there's the one you mentioned to us. The Titans have another late-round hit in Corey Levin. Wolf. Yeah, which <laughs> – it, the preseason looked great athletically. He's a great tester. And I honestly think that if you played him at center where he's really a better fit, probably, he could use his leverage more to be a really, like, probably a Ben Jones level center, like an above average but never, like, truly great center. Like, I think that's true. But at guard, when he has to face against three techniques, they just leave him in the dust. So what, what do you guys have? I really only have stuff for me. I don't really have any dirt you, you, on you guys. You, you can read your own takes. <laughs> okay, so I, I have two. One of them's not really. I, I wrote like a likely, unlikely first round picks uh, uh, article, and one of my unlikely options was Harold Landry. But uh, you are wrong. Yeah. yeah, that's because I thought he was gonna go like top fifteen. I think we all after, did. Yeah, after the combine, so that was uh, that's pretty funny. And then easily my worst take. Uh, I said Steve Wilkes was the best head coach candidate. <laughs> that and makes Steve me Wilkes, laugh every time. Steve Wilkes might not make it through the year in Arizona. Does that one have any comments? Like that article? Uh, no, it doesn't actually. It was, I, I had good reasoning. Like Wilkes had had success in the past as a defensive coordinator. And the rumors were that his offensive coordinator pick would be John DeFilippo, who we all loved um, and we thought was actually like a, a head coach candidate. So Coach Flip went to the Vikings. Steve Wilkes brought in Mike McCoy. Mike McCoy is already out of a job, and the Cardinals look like the worst team in the league. So These retread take, coaches, they don't want. Yeah, yeah, so bad, so bad. So I still think Wilkes isn't as bad as the season has been. But, uh, yeah, no, Vrabel was, was a good hire. Much better. Yeah, Vrabel definitely understands what he's doing. Yeah. Which was a concern. I think people were worried that he wouldn't. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have one from Luke digging uh, through Twitter. Uh, the quote is, the Titans have found some gems at a key position, and the story is... It's about undra- it's about Devin yeah. Ross and Cameron Batson. Yeah. And, uh- <laughs> Led by Deontay Burnett, Cameron Batson, and Devin Ross, the Tennessee Titans group of undrafted rookie receivers have continuously exceeded expectations during the preseason. And <laughs> now we're here. Now we're here. <laughs> I'll back down from that one, too. <laughs> that one's not as great. Every time I see Cam Batson, I think of Will, because Will, like, questions why Cam Batson is on this earth. I don't under... Like, I'm sure he's a good guy, and I don't want him to be completely blown away by God or whatever, but, like, <laughs> it's that, like I don't question his being on earth, uh, but I do not understand... He's still on the active roster, right? He, he caught a pass this week. Is it? Yeah, he got a pass. He did? That yeah. Smoke, like, did not get a yard after it, I don't think. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Burnett, Burnett's going eight, eight for 80 and a touchdown this week because the Jets have no receivers. Dude, he and Rashard Matthews are going to put up 200 yards. Yeah, so bizarre. 
Like, could you like if you had told me during on the first day of training camp that the Titans were going to have to face Matthews and Burnett in a revenge game? Like, oh, you'd have told Burnett and Matthews both would have gotten away from the Titans and onto the Jets roster without a trade. I would have. I would have. There's no way. Yeah. But, but I mean. Who would have thought that he would quit in the middle of the season? But back to Batson, like, why? Because I didn't get to finish my point. Why on earth do you have him on the roster when you have Darius Jennings, who does the same thing Batson does, but at a higher level? Like, you don't need two or three wide receivers that are kind of like punt returner, kick returner, get him in space kind of guys. And that's what Taewon Taylor, Darius Jennings, and Cameron Batson all are theoretically. Like, it, you yeah. only need two of those guys. Spend your spend your other spots on people who can do different things for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- anything else? Not really. I hope the Titans make a trade. That sure would be fun. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to our uh, our bye week extravaganza. We'll be back with our normal schedule next week to preview. Gosh, the Dallas Cowboys. Can't I mean, wait until Amari Cooper is going to go yeah, off on we're, us. We're probably one of the few podcasts that cover the NFL in existence that have never talked about the Cowboys. Yeah. We break that streak next week just for y'all. We do. We do. We will preview. Uh, we, we will ask the question, Dak Prescott or Marcus Mariota? Spoiler alert, Mario. Mario. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do a big fight at the end of the podcast with Luke, so I'm just going to not say anything. <laughs> no, no, I, I think Mariota. Okay. <laughs> Dak Prescott looks like what I expect Deshaun Watson to look like in 15 years. <laughs> or, or by the end of this year, legs. if his injury. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, all right, well, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.